Good afternoon, I'm Ryan Hackman, and, and join me today is John Carlo Campos on the B-Red Podcast. On today's show, we'll be talking about some possible trades involving current Bulls players, Zach Levine doubling down on playoff talks, and Kobe White's progression in his rookie season. Finally, we'll be talking about the upcoming NBA All-Star Game, which will be at the United Center in February. First of all, I'm on Twitter at J23Kicks1. What's your Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KingJ underscore 89. Starting off with possible trades involving current Bulls players and other players' wildcard trades. Ryan Heckman, sounding similar name, of Fansided, has a post titled Chicago Bulls, Three Bold Trade Ideas for the new year. And what we're going to do is I'm going to run these past you and see what you think about them. And then at the end, we're going to also talk about which one is more likely. And I'm going to ask you who the Bulls should trade of the current players and for who on other teams. Scenario number one, Carl Anthony Towns has been reportedly unhappy with the team. Under scenario one, Bulls would get Towns in exchange for Thaddeus Young, Thomas Sadoransky, Laurie Markkinen, plus two first-round picks. What do you make of this bold idea? I mean, this would probably be, you know, shooting for the stars. If they can get a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, it's the kind of star power that this team needs. It's a guy that would complement a guy like Zach Levine very well. Um, and, you know, the kind of guy that would definitely change the face of this team. Um, do I think it's realistic? No, probably not. Uh, but, you know, it would be nice. It would be really cool to see it. Number two, the New York Knicks is, you know, been in disrepair for some years, and some of their veteran players have been rumored to be traded. What do you think of Dennis Smith Jr. for Chris Dunn? The Bulls would have likely traded Dunn in the offseason if he had more value than he did. What do you make of this second scenario? Okay, this one is a bit more entertaining for me, and it's, it's really interesting. So a few really quick things. Chris Dunn uh, really fell out of favor, um, but he's responded very well to it, and he's one of the elite defenders in the league, and I'm not... You know, I'm not blowing any smoke when I say that. The guy leads the league in steals per game. Uh, he's definitely one of the best defending guards in the entire league, up there with Pat, uh, Patrick Beverly, excuse me, and guys like that. Um, I think he definitely has value now in this league. Uh, and he's carved out a role where he comes off the bench and you know, plays next to a scoring guard like Levine. Um, would I trade him for Dennis Smith Jr.? No. No, I kind of soured on Dennis Smith Jr., if I'm being real and I'm and being honest. Uh, the guy's explosive. He's got a lot of athleticism, but he's not necessarily what the Bulls are looking for. They're already kind of, you know, clogged with too many guards as it is. So I don't think I would do that deal. You talk about Dunn, his ability on defense. One of the issues with Dunn is he's often in foul trouble, especially lately. A lot of these games where he's got five, six fouls in a game that's limiting his ability to play. And... I think that'll change, to be honest with you. If, if a guy like Dunn can make it onto like the uh, defensive um, teams, like the all-defensive teams, 
I find that uh, the refs are a bit more lenient to guys like that. I see guys like Patrick Beverly get away with a lot more. Uh, back in the day, guys like Tony Allen used to get away with a lot more. Um, uh, same with guys like Doug Christie, if you remember. Yep. A lot of those really good elite defenders, Bruce, Bruce Bowen, um, guys like that. You know, usually would get away with a lot more from the referees because their defense was respected. Um, and I think Chris Dunn is trending that way. You think he's trending that way? You think that uh, it's true that the reputation you get in the NBA, if it's a good reputation, you're likely to have fouls that would go against other oh, yeah. people, not go against you. Oh, yeah. And even though the referees, they are being told to call the game where there's no physicality today leaning towards more scoring. That's another topic for another day, though. Trade scenario number three. And this is the most intriguing to me. One of the latest rumors out there is that the Clippers are interested in the aforementioned Thaddeus Young. Some believe the Clippers can make the West Finals or beyond. What do you make of Thaddeus Young for Patrick Beverly? No, Beverly is from Chicago, and there were some rumors in this offseason he was going to sign with Chicago, but he remains in Los Angeles. What do you make of that um, potential one? So this one seems a bit more realistic, but definitely something I would shy away from, simply because Pat Beverly made a lot of sense for the Bulls at the beginning of the year. But now they already have a Patrick Beverly clone in Chris Dunn. Granted, Dunn isn't nearly as efficient as Patrick Beverly. Doesn't get as many rebounds. Um, but you can have a guy similar to Patrick Beverly by keeping Chris Dunn, and you get him at a lot cheaper value on a contract. So I think it just wouldn't make too much sense. Uh, let me pitch something to you. Let me yes. throw on a name to you yes. that I've heard. Uh, Drew Holiday is a guy that, um, you know, he's on an expiring deal uh, with the Pelicans. That team has a bunch of young talent. Drew Holiday doesn't necessarily fit with that talent. We're talking about a 29-year-old guard um, where his best days are right now, pretty much in his prime, and he probably has another two years of his prime until he starts coming down he'll probably get one more big contract how would you feel about drew holiday being the lead point guard on this bulls team he could provide some experience and some veteran leadership considering the bulls are one of the youngest teams in the nba it would just be who are they going to give up in that in such a deal but i don't disagree with that idea of drew holiday because he had a lot of players on the pelicans who are much younger and mentioned Holiday's closer to 30, and Zion Williamson, one of the cornerstones of their future, he hasn't played at all. He's He graduated from high school in 2018, and he, he's played one year at Duke. Now he's been injured. Thus, it may make sense to let the old guard out, for lack of a better mm -hmm. phrase, in for the new guard for them, and it could benefit the Bulls in leadership that's something I would support. That is something I would absolutely sign on to. It would just be who are the Bulls going to give up in exchange for that. I want to ask, of these three scenarios, which do you see as more likely and less likely? Okay, of the three... Oh, boy, that's a great question. Honestly, I don't see any of them likely, to be quite honest with you. I just don't see... I don't think the Bulls are going to be buyers. 
and and all those scenarios they seem kind of like buyers if i'm being honest with you getting cat is a, a big move and you're being a buyer there i think when you get close to the deadline you take a look at what kind of assets you have and when you realize that it's uh, depreciating assets then the move you have is to sell and uh, unfortunately that's where the bulls are going to be they don't seem like a team that's ready to take that next step just yet no they've definitely taken a step back and they've regressed and uh, to be quite honest with you a lot of the players that they would acquire are players that are going to be on expiring deals and the reason why you would you would acquire a player on an expiring deal is so that you can re-sign them nobody is going to re-sign with this team under the current regime they have. No, the attraction or lack thereof of free agents coming to Chicago is a big reason why I think the Bulls have had an issue when it comes to taking the next step forward because you need some two or three key free agents. They don't have to be superstars, but be guys that can help lead the team. And the perception from the outside from other cities is that there's a lot of chaos with the Bulls, with the front office, and often perception is is reality. And I just think that the desire to come to Chicago is not the case for many players. Take Anthony Davis, for for instance. He, There was rumors about him coming to uh, Chicago a little bit last year. He's with the Lakers, and he's in better place. So I think... Even the Heckman believes that neither of these are likely, and I agree with them they're unlikely. Speaking of unlikely, Zach Levine was asked by Casey Johnson last season about making the playoffs, and he said then, quote, yeah, automatically. After last week's home game loss against Utah Jazz, he said, quote, we compete with some of the best teams in the league. It might not show in our record, but we are right there pretty much every night. Levine has not been the issue. He scored over 20 points a game. If the Bulls were to get in the playoffs, it would reflect the weakness of the Eastern Conference when many thought the Eastern Conference was getting better. Two couple questions I want to ask you. Can the Bulls realistically make the playoffs? They're 11th in the West Eastern Conference right now. 13 and 25 going to today. Do you think they have a realistic shot at the playoffs at this moment? It's a great question. Realistically, can they make the playoffs? Yeah. Unfortunately, they can uh, because of the East. Do I want them to make the playoffs? No, because we both see the writing on the wall. This team is not good enough to do any kind of damage in the playoffs. It would be a first-round exit, if we're being honest, as the roster is currently constructed. They need Otto Porter back because without him, there are glaring holes all over this roster. They need a point guard in a bad way. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, they can make the playoffs, but... I, I don't want to see them there. I'd, I'd rather them get another lottery pick and continue to build on this. I would counter that with you have two seasons in a row where the Bulls were expected to tank. They did. And now the expectations are higher, slightly higher this season. Do you think that this runs counter to what some are saying that the Bulls should completely tank because at the beginning of the season, the expectations were not sky high, but they did take a, net, a step forward from last season. So aren't the Bulls kind of in the in the middle where they aren't good enough to go deep in the playoffs, but are they really 
at a point where they should just tear down because I think they're right in the middle, honestly, they're more towards the middle and that's the worst place you can be in sport where you may be good enough to contend, sneak in and get and get eliminated in the first round. But I just think right now the Bulls are a point of no return. How would you counter that point of view by some? You know, I again, I I just think that you know they're they're in that NBA hell. You know, they're in that yes. NBA purgatory where they're they're good enough to not be the worst team, but they're bad enough to not even make the playoffs. And I, I honestly, I would do whatever it it took to let this the ship keep sinking. Um, whether that is some of these phantom injuries that we've seen in the past from different players, or perhaps giving some of the bull star players load management and using some of that, you know, guys like Zach Levine tonight off to continue to lose some games. Because if we're being honest, this draft that's coming up isn't the strongest draft. It's really not. It's not that good of a draft. Um, it's contingent on who, who decides and who declares. But... If the Bulls can find a way to somehow crack into the top five, they could luck out and maybe get a point guard and then have a full complemented one through five and then throw a bunch of money at somebody and see what they can do. Um, but, you know, the team is just not – it's just not ready. At this point, they have 13 wins. Last year, they had 22. Do you see them getting past 22 wins? And if so, how many wins do you see the Bulls winning this season? Yeah, I, I do see them getting past it. Um not by a lot. I've seen them winning 25 or 26 games. Yeah, I agree with that. About it. And I think this comment by Levine is more of a wake-up call to the rest of the team. You look at some of these Bulls games. We've talked about this before. They could have easily – they've had some games where they've blown double-digit leads, and those are the toughest ones to swallow. Could have easily won. They had a lead at home against the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James in early November and could not win that game. They blew a double-digit game point lead against the New York Knicks at MSG and lost. If you take a few of these losses and put them in the wins, which you can't, to me, the record, the reason why I come to where I am is that the Bulls shouldn't necessarily just tank is because records aren't always a complete indicator of what the season has been. It's Yes, it's been disappointing, but sometimes, as you say, numbers don't always tell the story. got to look at some of these games. You've seen them. They've, they nearly beat the Toronto Raptors on the last play of the game at home, lost by one point. How about that Lakers game? They almost beat the Lakers, and then the Lakers came back and beat them in the fourth quarter. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of close games. I think a lot of that, um, and, and I'm going to sound like I'm, you know, uh, beating a dead horse here. Um, a lot of that comes back to coaching. Um, yes. The team just seems to come back out of halftime and give up leads, you know, a lot. They The lack playing 48 minutes having that killer instinct. And I, I think, unfortunately, it's kind of understandable to see this happen with one of the youngest teams in the league, to have weeds and to blow them. And so they're able to hold on to them. Unfortunately, we're going to see more of this. I think it has a lot to do with the rotations that they have, too. Uh, there was a game specifically, I think it was that Lakers game, where uh, Boylan came out and said that um, the reason why he, he played his bench guys at the end of the night, uh, at the end of the fourth quarter was because he wanted them to continue their development and maturation and to me if you want 
want to win a game, you put your best players out on that court, not your rookies because you want them to mature or anything like that. The teams that do that are teams that are tanking. And to a man, this Bulls front office is saying they're not tanking. They said that their expectations were to improve and be in the playoffs. So that's, I know, I don't know if the left hand knows what the right hand's doing, but it doesn't sound like it. Looking on the brighter side of what has been a disappointing season, Kobe White, the rookie of uh, North Carolina, has made strides, scoring over 11 points a game. What do you attribute his success to thus far? I attribute his success to just his overall talent. The guy can shoot the ball, and he can score. He can get anywhere he wants on the court. Uh, he can score. What I what I see that he lacks is vision. He doesn't have the kind of vision or the kind of uh, patience that a normal NBA point guard would have. When I see him, I totally get Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams vibes, and and you know some ben, some of those Ben Gordon of the Bulls yeah. era kind of vibes, where he's. He's going to be an elite scorer in this league for a long time, and he can you can put points up in a in a hurry. The guy's a walking bucket. The only thing is, they drafted him thinking that potentially he could be a point guard, and unfortunately, I don't think he's the guard that they're looking for. He's not in that in that Darius Garland role or that John Morant role. He's more of a scorer, not really a a playmaker facilitator. I think he's more of a role player, honestly. Well. He's more of a, yeah, a bench player, and we talk about scoring points per game. He's averaging around 11 points a game. How many points a game do you think he can score at his peak? At his peak. So let's say the guy starts getting 30 minutes a night, which he may never uh, in his career, where he averages that for a full season. But if he was, it wouldn't surprise me if the guy gets 20 points a night. It would not surprise me. Um, you know, be a lesser Zach Levine, you know, a guy who can get a bucket however he wants to. Um, the real issue here is that he's just not he, – he's a competent defender. He's not there yet, and I don't want to be overly critical of a 20-year-old because he's just not where he's going to be yet. Uh, so he's a lot of growth and a lot of maturation left. I, I, this is not to say that he can't be a point guard in the future. I just don't think that's the way his game is going to trend. But, you know, you, you never know. Now, we talked about this before before coming on, but do you see him as an all-star in the future? Why or why not? Uh, I don't, unfortunately. I, I, you know, if you look up, you know, different different six men, because I, I think Kobe has a six-man of the year in him here or there somewhere in his career. Um, Lou Williams was never an all-star. No. Uh, Jamal Crawford was never an all-star. And these are some of the best, arguably the best six men to ever live. So... You know, I, I just don't think guys like that are ever going to be considered all-stars. That's not to say that they're bad players. They're really good players, and there's always a place for them in the league. And, you know, they'll play well into their mid to late 30s. Um, but I, just an all-star, no, I don't see it. Unless he radically changes his playmaking, I, I don't see it. And I don't think it's necessarily – It, I think too many players have kind of the goal of being an all-star. And, and – I don't think being an all-star or being an all-star snub is necessarily an attribute or indictment to your game. The game is very competitive. Every year, there's a lot of these all-star snubs that could have easily got, got in. And I don't think they should take it personally because the league is so competitive. And I just believe that he should focus on what his strengths are improving on his weaknesses 
And being an all-star, you don't have to necessarily be an all-star to be a very good player. Yeah, I know many NBA players who end up being Hall of Famers end up being multiple all-stars, Kobe Bryant, uh, future all uh, NBA Hall of Famer, Dwayne Wade. But you don't necessarily have to be in the mode of those names to be noticed around the league. And I think if he's able to develop a reputation such as Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford have over the years, he'll get that reputation around the league as being a noble six-man off the bench yeah. guy who can score some points. And he could win thir- uh, six-man in a year. Absolutely. It, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if he won it. Um, real quick, uh, as far as those you know, all-star nods and how important it is to the players, it kind of sucks that uh, it's us, the fans, that vote them in. I'd rather it you know some of that power to be taken away from us because i don't like that process because honestly it just comes down to a popularity contest i remember when yao was in the all-star uh games a lot of times the whole country of china would vote and he would be the top vote getter you know among and he wouldn't be putting up some of the best numbers he'd be having good years but you know it's a popularity contest and i I don't like that aspect of it and we'll talk about more about the all-star game considering it's going to be here in chicago at the united center in a few minutes a little more about Kobe White, do you worry about what's known as a sophomore slump? As some guys, he, as I mentioned, he's 19, he isn't 20 years old yet. He's not, his body's not fully matured. He's first year in the NBA. Do you worry about a possible sophomore slump considering that it? some guys, they can get in the NBA at an early age. Some, it takes a while. A sophomore slump? No, not necessarily. To do what he's doing right now, I I don't worry because what Boylan is telling him to do, and this is credit to Boylan, uh, he's telling him to go out there and just score. He's not telling him to be the lead guard. He's not telling him to be the lead facilitator. Uh, None of that. Anytime you see Kobe out there on the court, you'll see either Levine there with him. Uh, you'll see Chris Dunn next to him, who becomes the primary ball handler, uh, or you'll see Sadaransky on the court with him. It's never just, here's the keys to the offense, go. Uh, it's usually he, they, they alleviate some of that responsibility, um, which is big, and, and they're allowing him to understand the pace and the speed of the game. Uh, as far as the sophomore slump, no, I, I don't see it. I think he's already hit the slump right now uh, because he's already played more games than he would have in college um, at this point in the season, and you can see the drop-off. I think at one point in the season, he was averaging 16 or 17 points a game early on, and then that trended down, and now he's at 11. Yeah, well, the fatigue uh, of, of NBA seasons kind of... It's real. All sports go through th- this time, especially rookies. He, he's not that he's not that big and heavy and, and, and weight and tall, so he, he doesn't... He needs to... One of his t- top traits is the ability to shoot and make three-pointers and you live and die by a three, and part of it has to do with the fact that you're going to take when you, the more threes you take, eventually the percentage is going to go down. Closing question on Kobe White: we, we had talked about this before, but do you see him as a starter? Not every day. I don't see him as an everyday starter, but do you see him if he is able to? earn a spot in rotation in the in the future do you think do you think he could be a starter at least for some games uh yeah for some teams i could see it not yet like you said in the future yeah if he's the lead scorer yes if you got another guy who's a better scorer than he is then no if you got a zach levine on the team no 
You know, a guy like Zach Levine is too elite of a scorer, and Kobe will never start over him. Uh, you know, on a lot of teams, Lou Williams didn't start. That's why he was a sixth man. He could have started, but he didn't start because they were already better players that complemented each other. The problem with Kobe White is he isn't elite enough on defense, or just good enough on defense, to where his offense, you know, uh, outweighs his defensive deficiencies, kind of like Levine. Um, he could get there. Uh, but again, it's all going to come back down to one thing and one thing only for Kobe White. Can he become a facilitator? And if he can, then yeah, I can definitely see him being you know, a lead you know, point guard on in the, in the future. Moving on, we talked about potential All-Stars. The 2020 NBA All-Star Game will be held here in Chicago on Sunday, February 16th. And I was looking at, at the ratings of last season. Considering that the games were broadcast both on TNT and TBS, the game averaged a rating of 3.8, about 6.8 million viewers. Compare that to down being down by 12% in ratings and 11% in viewers from the last year's game, 4.3 and 7.65 million viewers respectively. Do you see this maybe as a fluke, or do you see this as a trend that the NBA should be worried about? I don't. That's a great question. Uh, should they be worried about it? Yeah, yeah. You should be worried anytime your product isn't, you know, excelling and continuing to uh, increase in viewership, uh, specifically for the All-Star game, because um, across the board, the numbers are up for the NBA, for normal, you know, televised games. Uh, but for All-Star games, it's the same across all sports. I just think that a lot of people, you know, understand that the game is meaningless. And even if the game had meaning, like baseball, there's still you know a lot of people don't they just don't aren't they're not as into the games because there's they're not really playing for anything and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of hype going into the all-star game but the, it, it's very pre predictable it, it's you're not like baseball is a you know unpredictable sport but i think the all-star games in general tend to be very predictable and just it's just hard for people to watch. And with that being the case, what kind of modifications would you have for the NBA All-Star Game? Some, I believe that the game at the NBA All-Star Game should at the very least be watered down, maybe to 40 minutes a game. I know it's probably not going to happen, but these guys, they have bigger fish to fry as the season goes on. Many of these same players are going to be in the playoffs. Okay. And... So good question. Um, would I minimize the game to 40 minutes a game? Absolutely not. I would not. Um, but if you're asking what kind of changes I would make, uh, let me pose two to you. Yes. Uh, the first one I think they should do. Uh, minimize the amount of timeouts. Um, Let's be real, people want to keep watching and they don't want to have that many pauses in the game. Um, the NBA can continue to run um, you know, ads in the game, um, do little side things, or like when they do call a timeout, have it remain on, like focused on the crowd and be able to do interviews and not go away from the camera if you want people to remain seated and keep that attention. Um, you know, different uh, creative ad um, ways, I guess, different things for, for advertisement. Um, these 
second thing I would do is probably implement a uh, USA versus the world game. Um, I think that would create a different kind of competition. I th actually, I think it would drive competition because at that point, you're playing for something. You're playing for what you would perceive as your country versus you know uh, a foreign country or international players um, as opposed to playing East versus West or Giannis team versus you know LeBron. LeBron you know, however you want to break it down. At that point, you're kind of like, whatever, I don't, you know, I'm just playing on this team because I got selected. But you probably would have more of a sense of pride. Um, those are probably two small things we could that I could think of off the top of my head. Maybe changing, you, you mentioned earlier, you think the fans have too much influence in voting. Certainly. They're able to vote so many times. I've never voted for NBA All-Star Game because I don't, I really have ever watched them. But you think that there should be some limits on that? Do you think yeah. the fans have too much? Because name ID means a lot. For sure, they're not having a great season. I would say the fan vote should count for like ten percent of the entire like vote, and that's it. Not as much as it probably counts for now. And I would also go back to the old format of West versus East, mm -hmm. whereas last year you had Team LeBron against Team Giannis, where. They basically, LeBron's able to choose players, any of his players he wishes, and they can be from Eastern Conference. In the reverse can be the case with Giannis choosing players in the Western Conference. I wouldn't mind that at all. I wouldn't mind that at all. Is there anything you're excited for this All-Star break? I'm, I'm excited for the dunk contest. Hopefully, Zach will you know participate in it. Oh, the dunk contest is probably one of the more exciting parts in, in the skills competition. You know, the is word very, is that Derrick Rose is accepting his invitation to it. It'd be really he, nice to he, see D. Rose there. And, and his hometown. Watch out yeah. for John Morant in that dunk contest, Oh, he, he, he is sick. Yeah. You, see, you see some... That dunk, he almost over put, people. Yeah, he almost he almost Gooch? ended Kevin Kevin Love's career. Kevin Love, yeah, he, he, that was absolutely. I I, I agree. I think uh, the the contest before the game, dunk contest, skills contest, three point shooting contests. I think those kind of contests beforehand are better compared Agreed. to the game because they're, they're more specific into the game. That is it for today's episode of Be Red. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you join us next time. Bye-bye for now.